0: Hello and welcome to the Shorenstein Center Media and Politics Podcast. On today's episode, Maria Sacchetti of the Boston Globe shares her experiences reporting on the international refugee crisis and discusses the importance of local coverage of international stories. Well, welcome everybody. Welcome. I'm Tom Patterson. I'm the acting director of the Shorenstein Center. Our guest today is uh, Maria Cicchetti, uh who covers immigration for the Boston Globe, uh, native of this area from Lawrence, um, and uh, has covered immigration uh, in the U.S., uh, and uh, quite recently uh, has been in Europe covering the refugee uh, crisis that's developed there. Uh, Maria, welcome.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me, and thank you all for coming. Um, I wasn't sure how many people would show up in the middle of the day, but I'm very, very impressed. Um, and, and intimidated, but I'll do my best, so thank you in advance. Um, so, uh, so this is, when I was preparing to talk today, I realized that it was about our trip to Europe, which a lot of you have read about from many, many different media outlets, but it's also about how a newspaper like the Boston Globe, which does not have a foreign desk anymore, how do we cover foreign news? How do we bring the news back to Boston? And why should we? You know, Why is it important when you can read it in The Guardian and other places? So. But we do want foreign news. We do need foreign news. And we do need it from different perspectives. And we need it in, in, in Boston, which is a very international place. You know, so after something like the Boston Marathon bombing, there's an instant need for an understanding of places very far away from here. Um, but there's also a, a need for us to understand what's going on in other countries like El Salvador and people who are here um, teaching at Harvard or, um, or walking dogs in, in Austin, Brighton or whatever they're you know, working on um, here. But there's all kinds of places. Boston's a very international <coughs> place, as you know. So um, so the, the other thing um, I noticed a lot of when I was uh, in Europe is very often, and this is hard to believe nowadays, but I wanted to say that especially here at this center, um, that I was often the only woman, which is kind of surprising. Uh, I was I was surprised even to see that. And so why why would I? You know that that's a whole other perspective that you bring and people you can approach when you're covering a story. So that that ended up being uh, much more important than than even I anticipated. So um, so I don't and uh, I don't mean to make light of this very serious situation where I talk about this. But the, the my desire to go. Um, Europe uh, started more than a year ago. Obviously, this has been something that's been um, building for a a long time, not just this past summer and the past few months, right? So Afghans and Syrians have been the number one and number two refugees in the world for some years now. But um, about a year ago, uh, three Afghan soldiers went missing from Camp Edwards on the Cape, and uh, it quickly became uh, national, if not international, news. Partly because there were allegations that they uh, visited a strip club, which they vehemently deny, and that's completely beside the point. But what was instantly important for, for our purposes, we had to cover a news story. And very quickly, we realized you know, there were very few Afghans here. Um, we, we don't know how they live, so we don't know enough about how to explain to people here in Boston why they would run away from a place like Camp Edwards. And maybe it's not such an unusual thing that you would want not to go back to Afghanistan. Um, and so I was immediately confronted with, with, the, um, with, with this question. You know, how do you tell their stories? How do you make people understand what it's like to live there? And um, and I, there was this point where I went up to upstate New York to this immigration jail, and, and I was talking to this uh, major in the Afghan National Army, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm 48 years old. I'm at the end of my life, and I'm in jail. And you think 48 years old? You know, I'm right behind you. What do you mean? You know, your end of your life. But he's right. You know, 50 is the life expectancy, right, in Afghanistan. So, you know, these are the kinds of things that local media need to know how to tell. And um, and and and, how, and and so what we often do, and we and we do do this. I mean, the Boston Globe very recently has been to Cuba, Ecuador, Guatemala, um, Mexico. We've been to places to cover these kinds of stories. And um, unfortunately, we have to, uh, with limited resources, we have to choose. So I've been very committed to covering the disappeared along the U.S.-Mexico border, and I wanted to make sure that we had resources to go do that. And um, and so going to Europe could jeopardize that. And so, uh, fortunately, in this case, the the Globe made those resources available for both trips, um, almost uh, at the same time. So um, so we uh, so. But that's not always the case, and that's one of the challenges I think we face, which is why it's so important for us to be able to, you know, have have the support of, um, of the communities, but also of the newspaper to tell these kinds of stories. So, um, and I think also just telling the human stories, sort of not just relying on the stories about how many people died today or what happened overseas today. Um, but but also trying to tell the human stories of how people live in these countries is really important. And as far braver journalists than I am know, um, it's increasingly un, you know um, so dangerous, if not impossible, to tell these stories now. Um, and and so. That's what Europe offered us an opportunity to do because people weren't in Syria, but they were, of course, Syrians. Right, so they were coming across, and so what we ended up doing was um, there was some debate about where we should start. Should we start in Greece, or should we go to where everybody was in the media right now um, in Macedonia, or should we, um, you know, go somewhere even, you know, should we go to the border, you know, the, one of the Hungarian borders? So uh, I felt very strongly we should start at the beginning and I'm glad we did. And the beginning in Europe really, so, um, for us anyway. Um, so we went to the island of Lesbos and stood on the shore. <laughs> Someone from my rowing team, that's lovely. Um, so uh stood on the shore. And, uh, and, uh, and watch the boats come in one after the other. And, and every journalist loves to hear this, by the way. And everyone we ran into was like, oh, you're so late. Nobody's coming anymore. And we thought, oh, great. My, my boss is going to kill me. I, nobody's going to be there. There's going to be no story. And we've come to this you know, far-flung island off the coast. Uh, it's closer to Turkey than it is to Europe. And we're going to be in trouble. But it was, of course, not true. And it is not true now. Um, the boats are still coming, you know, and, uh, and and it was is absolutely extraordinary to stand on this. So we we decided to tell um, tell the stories from dawn till um, midnight as my, as long as we could um, of each um, as many boats as we could. So we watched each boat. We talked to people from each boat, and you know it's challenging. I mean, people are afraid, you know. So we had to ask people if they gave us their names. You know, are all your family members out? Mm-hmm. Is it safe for us to put your name in the paper? Because even um, even if uh, you're you're here, your relatives might be home, and someone might be able to find them there. So, all, all these questions you had to, to think about and talk about, and people were incredibly gracious, but um, but running, and they they were absolutely um, intent to, on getting to their next de- destination. Did not as uh, very often want to talk. Um, so, that was one challenge. So, um, and uh, one particularly uh, so so. W- the one thing I wanted to mention is that each, each boat was different. I mean, some people were incredibly joyous and so happy to arrive, and then other people were, you know, they'd been stranded on these boats. And everybody knows these boats are coming, right? So there's big questions for the government, I think, in these governments in these countries, Turkey and others. So you, you know they're coming. So you know they're getting stranded in the, in the sea. So why are there no, we, we, we didn't, maybe one time did we see a Coast Guard boat, and of course they were, they were too late. And they were just, imagine these rubber rafts, I mean, maybe um, half the size of this table, maybe a little bit bigger, and they're just crowded with people, like a big donut, you know, and then they're more and more and more and more, and the babies are in the middle, and they're wearing these life jackets that say, um, you know, not suitable for uh, ocean wear, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's very clear, and, you know, it's um, it's it's in, it's incredibly dangerous. And so I remember one night we were staying at um, this little, uh, they call them tavernas on the uh, water, kind of this little inn, um, and, and we were watching the sea, and it got pretty choppy, and the, the, ma- the owner of the inn was like, yeah, there's no way anybody's going to come tonight. You'd have to be crazy. And more and more and more did come that night, and, 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 it, and what they were was desperate, and sometimes they were forced on these boats, according to what the stories they told us. And there was one particularly um, dramatic moment that I, it was one of the last boats that night that had to be towed in by fishermen. Uh, and it was one of the. It wasn't one of the little rubber rafts. It was kind of a bigger boat that they thought would be more stable. But the engine died, so they're they're attaching these engines that do not have the kind of power that you need to ferry people across. And and um, and so uh, it was this sort of elegant port. If anyone's been to Lesbos, you know, um, we it, it's very it's very nice, very stone, um, and and people have you know they're kind of looked up from their salads and their white wine, and they all of a sudden you see this lifeboat just crowded with people kind of like just pouring onto the street. And um, and they, they kind of quickly, it's very interesting on this island, they have uh, statues that uh, honor refugees. And so you, when you're driving past, and, and because there was so many people that it's easy to miss because the crowds, but the crowds had kind of lessened by the time we got there and we we're driving up to um, to the shore and I saw the statue of a woman huddled around children like holding her children closer I was like this is exactly what what we're seeing on the shore and they were like oh yeah that's to honor the, the Greek refugees so it was just this bizarre you know uh, you know this is renewal of this refugee crisis again and again and some Greeks were extremely compassionate I would say most um, others were very upset because they're having their own economic crisis and were very worried about um <coughs> this affecting their economy which i'm i'm it very well may, may be doing uh so so uh so watching people come in and watching um the different um I mean, I mean the boats were incredible we i saw one man um very elderly man soaking wet wearing a three-piece suit um with uh wearing a life jacket over it uh and we we saw that it, we saw it Children, um, some children just a few weeks old. I mean, it was just this incredible situation, um, and uh, and and I remember the, the night of that lifeboat. Um, they, they kind of, so they have these statues on the island, kind of celebrating their, their Greek refugees of you know of many many years ago. Um, but uh, but then uh, they're they, they so upset about um, the authorities of the uh, the refugees arriving in the middle of their very nice tourist area. They kind of swept them off into it into a very dark alley. And when I was standing there talking to some of them, a woman came up to me and, in very good English, kind of just started grabbing um, my, my sleeve and saying, You you know, you have to see my phone. You have to. And, I, and she wanted to show me her pictures. And I know for the life she had just a, a short time ago. And she was beautiful in this wedding dress. And she showed this old fashioned car she and her husband rode from the wedding. And, and they had a house and they lived you know, in Syria, and she's like, all that is gone now. And, and and that is what we need to see, you know, that that is too dangerous for someone like me to see. I mean, the Globe is not going to send me there. They're going to f- be afraid that I would be killed, and, and there are incredibly courageous journalists who have gone and um, and, and tried to do that, and it's even uh, too dangerous for them. You can see all the freelancers who <coughs> have been killed, and that, you know, these are freelancers, so they don't have the protection of a place like the Globe that I, I have. So. Um, but that uh, that moment, I, th- I think, will never leave me, of uh, her trying to ex- show me the life she had and why she was running away. Uh, so that that's a story that we can we can tell by uh, going to Europe. So uh, just to tell you a little bit about our, our trajectory. So we arrived on Lesbos. Um, we uh, stayed a few days and we watched the boats. We talked to people. Um, we also talked, um, we sort of seized an opportunity also to talk about the, the wounds they suffered. So that was also very helpful to talk to them about um, the barrel bombs, um, the, the getting shot, the, the telling the stories, that, that, that they, the reasons they were running away. Um, and then we went to, um, we just followed their route. Um, no, we didn't follow a, a particular group that we ran into the same people, but we went up to Macedonia. Um, then uh, we went into Serbia. Um, we were, there was some discussion about, uh, there was a lot of ping-ponging going along. So, you know, was, countries would close their borders. You know, it was hard to de- uh, decide where to go. So we decided to go to Croatia and they just poured people, and, and so uh, we went, we're at this border with Serbia and Croatia, and all of a sudden, you know, there's all these officers there, and Croatia closes this border, and then they say, okay, well, you can walk across illegally. And so we just walked with them across, and it was like you know, five kilometers over these cornfields. It was um, incredibly hot at the moment, and there were kids, there were elderly people. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I could ever really, I tried my best to describe it, but it was just extraordinary. It's the kind of thing that if you saw this happening, you would you would help them. And the, and the officers were just sort of standing there watching, and it's because they were told to do that. You know, I mean, they, they also, you know, they did not look happy to be doing that. And, um, and some people collapsed, and the officers did go to help them. But you know, this is what they were having to do. And then they get into Croatia and they put them on buses to send them you know back to Serbia. And it was just this infuriating situation and there was um, you know, th- these these refugee situations were, were happening um, you know, very very suddenly and very unexpectedly. And so the camps so in Croatia people arrived and they weren't those there weren't camps ready for them. There was doctors with their borders wasn't set up. Nobody knew what was going on and often the governments wouldn't tell people what was going on so that they could set up. So there always seemed to be behind. Um, and then we, um, we went to uh, Hungary and Austria. I felt it was really important. Um, we, we arrived in Hungary probably, um, a, you know, a few days after the folks were tear gassed. That got a lot of attention. And we were able to talk to some folks, and and we walked across um, the border a couple of times into Austria with the folks from Hungary, and escorted very closely by the Hungarian police. So people would fall down, and the police wouldn't help them get up. Um, and there was a, there was a different one, one. As one refugee told me, he's like, you know, I really am excited to get into Austria. Um, it's not like it's not like you sort of when you saw the initial news reports and people were like, yay, and there was confetti and happiness, and and it was it was sort of like a very Difficult, long march. There was there was definitely welcoming um, people on the Austrian side, um, but but what one refugee told me was like it's just the look in their eyes is different, you know. And I thought I thought that was very interesting. And I, I think you know having walked that route a few times, I think that was true. I think there was um, you know, and when you and when you look at the different countries, you can see the different. Um, Things that are going on in these different countries, right? Like some have way higher unemployment rates than uh, others. Some are way um, less diverse than others. Uh, So, it it was you know there's there's all kinds of discussions going on inside of each each of these countries. Um, It was also very interesting to see this. Um, because uh, on the Hungarian-Austrian border, um, the borders were down now, right? And so uh, it was kind of this, um, you know, outmoded border post. It was kind of very faded, and now and then suddenly it, you know, it revived and it became a, a border checkpoint again and it kind of back to life. Um, and I was struck, you know, along the journey. And, and so finally, we ended up going to Germany, um, and now uh, we're unexpectedly the the, the last moment. Um, they started uh, slowing uh, down the arrivals of refugees and and part of that was you know to, to do a better job screening people to make sure that criminals weren't getting through and um, or terrorists and things like that um, but it was a, it was a very one the, the very last <clears throat> leg I think a lot of people didn't expect it to be so difficult and it was they were kind of camped out on a bridge in the cold um, but then you know high school students from Austria came over and gave them food and tea and um, there always seemed to be help along the way, so that, I thought that was very interesting. Um, uh, there were a lot of Europeans volunteering. I thought that was uh, also very interesting. So um, once we got to Germany, there were there were a lot more rules, and so it was a lot harder <laughs> to um, report, and we weren't able to get into the refugee camps and things like that. But we were, we were able to, to talk to some people. Um, but uh, but but some things st- stood out to me, and I'm sure um, I, and the reason I wanted to talk about these is you in the room may have better answers than, than I do yet um, about them. So I, I'm very, I hoped it would be part of the discussion. But along the route, um, I, there were a lot of disconnects. So um, the first night in Lesbos in Greece, I was uh, sitting on the street with some folks who had to sleep on the street that night. And um, these are, you know, middle-class people, professionals, um, and there was, they just arrived and there was no uh, transportation, no way to get to the port uh, to get off Greece. So um, so they had to sleep on the street with their kids. and. Um, they, you know, of course, offered me food, which you know we said no, thank you, so that they could have them. But um, but they were very gracious, and um, and, and the man kept asking me, "No, I, I, how don't the Americans know that this is happening? Like everybody's so galvanized by this terrible um, drowning of this this little boy off Turkey, you know? Um, but but don't they know that? Don't they know we're getting bombed? Don't they? Know? And and I and I don't think that it is in the general consciousness. We have very very few refugees here in the United States, even though our Um, our military our politics are so deeply involved in these countries so but they're not our neighbors and so that's one way I think a place like the Boston Globe and (coughs) local newspapers you know just really have this special obligation to try to cover you know world news and and in a way that's that's the way we do local news which is try to do in a very human uh, detailed way so so I know and I didn't really have a good answer for him and I was like I don't I don't think it is common knowledge. I, I don't. I mean, you may differ, and um, I, I think there's a lot of uh, information on Facebook, and it's um, from there's citizen journalism going on, and um, folks who are here from Syria show it to me, and I see it, and it's like impossible to for me to verify independently, right? So, um, doesn't mean we don't write about it, but it um, but it's it's a challenge. Um, the other thing is far more refugees told me that they were afraid of Assad than ISIS or Daesh. Mm-hmm. And that is something very interesting. So I mean, as a reporter, I come back and I read the news and I see the front pages of international newspapers, and it's all about ISIS. And I don't. I think that is a really interesting question um, that I, again I don't have an answer for. Um, but when you read like the State Department's human rights reports, it um, seems to me to be overwhelmingly about um, Assad. So um, he's barrel bombing his own people. There's rape. There's kidnappings. There's disappearances. And you can see the wounds on people, right? So. So I don't know. Um, and then uh, the, you know, another thing is how English is the language of so many refugees, the second language or third, um, and, uh, and there are so few English-speaking countries, it seems like, that are taking significant numbers of people. So they're having to start over and learn German, and, um, and they're, they're very happy to do it. I mean, they're incredibly grateful, so that was an interesting question. A lot of the English speakers we ran into had been translators, and one case was incredibly, if you can see the photos by Craig Walker, who, who's a two-time Pulitzer winner and couldn't be here, I'm sorry to say, because he's uh, fascinating, but he's a photographer I was with. Um, we ran into a, I went to UT Austin for grad school, and, uh, and there was a guy with a longhorn cap. And it's just, um, if you know Texans, you know, every time I wear my longhorn T-shirt, someone grabs me on the street in Boston hoping I'm friendly. <laughs> and unfortunately, I'm not, you know, but I, I know I try to be, especially if they're from Texas. But, but I'm a New Englander, right? You know, why are you grabbing me? So uh, <laughs> it's funny. Um, but they're, they're, uh, so I, I saw it, and I beelined over to him, and, uh, and I'm glad I did because um, he had these giant tattoos uh, celebrating the you know 101st Airborne and the 82nd Airborne, and uh, and he was wearing a uh, a bracelet um, commemor- uh, remembering um, a New England soldier who had died uh, overseas. And I thought you gotta be kidding me, you know, I, like I, this he's marked everywhere. And he, and he said, you know, I just walked into Bulgaria, you know, it's I'm in danger there. And you can really see why. I mean, we took a photo of him. Uh, he, they called him Elvis. That was his nickname over there. So um, and so, I just to end up, uh, just to uh, is, I feel like the media is an absolutely necessary player here, and and not just the international media, who I think is doing a phenomenal job um, all around the world. I mean, I know there's a lot of criticism, but um, it takes incredible courage to do what they do, especially in in the conflict countries. Um, but uh, but I think it's really necessary for papers like mine that um, that have these big ambitions, but um, but also cover local news to make to understand that this is also. Local and um, and that because it's important for people locally to know about it, um, and so uh, and and <coughs> in, in ending, um, you know the the whole one of the reasons uh, probably that we were able to go is that the death of this young boy. I mean, really renewed interest in it. But um, according to the United Nations, apparently dozens more children have died since then. So uh, just to leave you with that thought, and the boats keep coming. So thank you.
0: Well, thank you. <laughs> So you you started your talk about um, the absence of foreign bureaus in today's newspaper. The um, and it's sometimes called parachute journalism when you kind of go into a place where you haven't been. Um, And uh, were there stories that you felt uh, you would have liked to have written but couldn't write because you didn't know the place well enough? Well,
1: I mean. language is is always an issue right so um it was the same thing when we covered um the earthquake in haiti we were there the next day and so um and i have to say you know i lived in latin america in different countries for seven uh six years and um and i and i remember thinking oh these parachute journalists they just come in and you know they just kind of do this quick story and it's so um uh so difficult you know and uh and and you know don't local journalists know more than, than we would? And the answer is yes, you know, absolutely, they know more than, than we do. Um, but I think what we, what we also do is, um, is, uh, is I, I know this area and I know journalism, and so I do the best I can um, to try to bring these stories back and, um, and use the skills that I have over time mm-hmm. to do the best job I can in telling the story. So, yeah. So, okay,
0: students first, so let's open it up for, Question. for questions.
1: I've got one. Uh, oh <laughs> Sorry, I'm in a kind of an awkward position. Um, uh, I'm a my name is Danielle Feinstein. I'm a student in the MPP program. Um, I'm wondering that after the news cycle kind of it's kind of wrapping up and 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 kind of quiets on this issue, while the weather gets worse for refugees. I mean, worse somehow than already it is to go on like something in the ocean and hope that you end up somewhere that's safer than where you are. Um, but as the weather turns and there's less of these, this influx, is, what's the, the future for this issue as people's attention goes to the next news cycle issue? Um, where is that going to leave these people who are now in Germany or hmm. Austria or along this route? And, and, what can, what can, and I, I guess I'll pose this question to everyone. What can we think about once the attention goes away in the media from this issue? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't, um, you know, I don't have, I don't have a uh, necessarily a great answer for that. You know, there's always going to be new news and, um, and and new things to cover, and and there's a lot of things that I cover that um, that are never part of the news cycle. Like, like immigration is the only agency that's what I cover um, that's allowed to make secret arrests in the United States, and nobody ever brings it up, and and so I try to write about that, you know, um, and and uh, also like the deaths along the border. Like, there was a big news cycle um, and last summer, and it faded, and, um, and but we tried to follow it up. Um, so I think that's what we will try to do, but I don't, I don't know that it would, you know, new, news does drive, I mean, a, as, it, as, it, as it should. You know, we are a newspaper and we're providing that. So um, I think what we have a responsibility to do is try to follow up these stories and monitor them. So. <laughs> Hi, um, I'm, here, Jennifer, I'm um, So as a Texan, also an generation immigrant, um, I'm curious, uh, what advice do you have uh, for students here who are thinking
0: about um, using advocacy and leveraging the power of stories in the media to kind of
1: counter the harsh rhetoric surrounding immigration? Um, so I, I, I'm, uh, I'm not even allowed to give advice, right? But, but I don't, um, but I mean, I would, I would just, I would. one thing I would say is, you know, just tell the truth, you know? I mean, I would really, um, I, and, and read, uh, for students, I think it's so important to read all different um, perspectives. Um, that's mm-hmm. one, one thing I see that's kind of missing now is, um, you know, kind of it's almost like each group has its own media and so like it's really in the mainstream media and as criticized as it may be maybe sometimes deservedly so but um, but where they come together and I think I think that's, that's one thing that people don't really consider um, opposing views. I remember being at a, at a uh, invited to a, a lecture where a professor was about immigration and I said okay well You know, and they were they were criticizing the people on the opposite who had opposite views, and and I said, well, okay, well, well, of people, you know, obviously there's a discussion here. There's a debate going on. I mean, or there's perhaps there should be. I don't know. Um, And uh, and I said, well, you know, very esteemed professor, who who do you uh, who do you respect? Who who is there someone you whose views, uh, someone whose scholarship you respect, but who disagrees with you? And he was like, no. I was like, really? So I mean, you know, this is because they were criticizing us for for calling certain groups for another view. In the mainstream media, and and I, I said, like, there's not one person you can suggest for us to call. Like, really, you know, and you're right completely. <laughs> and so I think I think that's kind of the the thing is that is that you can have a thoughtful discussion, you know, and and what's what I'm trying to do as a journalist is to really, you know, not just um, do the you know fall into the polarized debate, um, but to, to have a discussion about what it means, and, and that means sometimes covering things that that aren't. Um, in the news, like the Senate immigration bill, right? Everybody thought that was a great idea. That was the second longest path to citizenship in U.S. history. That is extremely similar to the Alien Sedition Act, which you would not hear from anyone on the, on the left because they decided to support it. But that, Thomas Jefferson, you know, I mean, then he had his issues, but, um, but he thought that was horrible, and that was the Alien Sedition Act was a 14-year path to citizenship. So as a journalist, I think it's very important for us to go our own way and, and really look underneath at the facts and tell the truth. So good luck.
0: Sure. Please. Uh, hi, my name is Nicole, and I'm coming from Serbia. So I heard a lot of stories from people who had similar experiences. Yeah. Uh, I'm a here, actually. We're working a group of people here working on the refugee crisis from a different perspectives, trying to do something about it. So my question is, as you engage these people, uh, you, what is your sense of why they uh why they uh went to this journey now? War is going on for four years. Do you have any sense why would they move now? It's very risky and they knew it probably. I mean
1: nobody made easier for them unfortunately. Uh, but do you get any sense why they, they made the decision to move now? Because the waves of immigration
0: are like a few months ago when they started right. the waves kind of <coughs>
1: No that that's an excellent question. It actually was a huge question also on our southern border last summer. You know, and, and, and there are very different answers and there and it, it, for, for me being um, here and or or not being in Turkey, for example, it's a very difficult question for me to answer with authority. But but so often it's it's a feeling of desperation of wanting more. Um, I heard that there were a lot of barriers in Turkey, and that's what I also read. That they weren't able to progress, weren't able to easily get jobs or sometimes food. Um, but also, it's—I mean—I th- I think it's very clearly opportunity. You know, there are real businesses right now, and the, the smugglers make in, on the southern border in the United States make a lot of money smuggling people in, and that was the same thing that was going on in Turkey. I mean, people—there was a—it's a smuggling business, and there was an opportunity, and people were were taking it taking advantage of that um, uh, opportunity, you know, to, to seek a better life, I think. And that was, that was the understanding, so. And, and they, were, they were afraid. You know, some had been in Turkey for a while, and some, um, it was a mix. So some people, um, you know, from Syria uh, were recent arrivals, or, or Iran, or Iraq, or other places. So it really was a mix. So I, I guess I'm not answering your question, but it, it's, it's all those things, it seems like. Fear, the chance. Please. Hi. place. name's Keith I'm from Grand school. What was the sense you got about the refugees' willingness and ability to return to their homes once the conflict ended? So, I think um, I I think people wanted to um, I mean, I think their the sense from the refugees with their homes are gone, right? So, I mean, they're they're they just what they had didn't exist, but they loved what they had when they when it was you know, a community. When it was, it was. There were beautiful cities, right? I mean, I've never been there, so I can't say. But, um, but that was my understanding from them, is that they they would have gone back, but, but they're not really sure now that that's going to be possible. So. Yeah, please. Uh, here
0: at the uh,
1: fellow at the Car Center for Human Rights Policy, I'm wondering. Uh, there was a lot of attention, especially because of the Syrian boy, and yeah. uh, most of the news are about the refugees' journey to Europe. Um, but I, I read very very little about the uh, the situation in the n- neighboring countries, Lebanon, and, right. and especially about the internal displacement within Syria, which is the largest estimated nine million people within Syria are right. being displaced because of the conflict. How do you feel that you feel that uh, how do you feel about the coverage of this particular crisis, the internal displacement, and the and the crisis within the neighboring countries? Is right. There any chance yeah. That this might, you know, be increased somehow? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I think as long as people um, don't um, don't subscribe to newspapers, then all of this is going to be in jeopardy. You know, and I'm not here to sell the Globe, but I mean, I think that's just the that's just the truth. You can subscribe to the New York Times or the Washington Post or whoever you want to, but um, but this is this is just the truth of it. I mean, there are, newspapers around the country are fighting for their lives. I was talking to my dad and. He always wants to use my um, my sign-in to read the newspaper. And I was like, Dad, you know, you pay $100 a month to watch cable TV. You know, how much Law & Order do you really need? You know, I mean, I love my father. He's brilliant. But um, but I just, I, th- I think that's really the real question um, is, is, you know, is this going to be sustainable? I mean, I, when I was doing the research to try to... Um, to decide where to go, there's only so many places we can afford to go. I mean, we just laid off some of um, my very close colleagues, people who are excellent journalists. You know, it's not just you're laying off people who are just, you know, are along for the ride. You're laying off great journalists. So, um, and that that's a challenge, you know. Um, so, so I guess that's the thing. You kind of, you know, get what you invest in, I think. Um, so mm-hmm. like right now, you have the AP, and so I was trying to do research to decide, do we go to Jordan? Or do we go to Europe? Which place do we go to? Look at Lebanon. You know, and this is the kind of thing. And and how do we have access? What? Where can we go? What stories can we tell? What can we connect back to Boston? So, and what can we afford to do? You know, so so when I stay at a place, you know, I stay at a place that's like thirty bucks a night. You know what I mean? I I very careful with money. Yeah, but that's okay. I'm good. I'm good with that. I mean, I'm. It's very you know low maintenance is fine with me. But that's but that's what you you want to do. You know, and so um, you know, I mean. Be, be, Journalists, I think that, that go into journalism now, and it has always been this way. I think, but um, but you do it because you you really believe in what's happening, you know. But I don't. Anyway, so uh, you, uh, anyway, that that's kind of the answer. I mean, really. I mean, uh, yeah. I think there absolutely should be more. I think AP has done some really good work. Cause I read the news coverage from all those different countries to try to make my pitch and proposal to my editor, um, and uh, and uh, they've done some really some really great stuff. But. Um, yeah, but you're going to see that back in the days when you're enough all those newspapers there, it's very tough to do. So, so let,
0: me, let me ask a follow-up to that, and then we're going to open it up. But, um, so I'm wondering in the Globe, um, you know, the, when, this, when the refugee crisis moved into Europe, right, uh, was there a sense in the Globe that it was, it was a bigger story? I mean, if you, you look at Africa, there's a lot of refugee movement in Africa that gets very little attention. Uh, from the Globe or any other U.S. media outlet, right, and so, and a lot of internal uh, displacement, <coughs> right, and then suddenly it's on Europe's border, and that's so. To what degree in the Globe do you think that particular piece of the story really tipped the balance in terms of the Globe's thinking about the coverage?
1: Well, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, so much of this in news is done uh, uh, quickly, so to speak. So, I mean, I, there was um, – I'd been – on Sunday I did a story that um, – and, and this kind of speaks to your, your question. Um, last year I did uh, some stories about uh, the exhumation of bodies along the, the southern border, which seems like a very distant problem. Um, there's me- uh, tons of uh, immigrants who disappear on the southern border after crossing into Texas, their remains are uh, found but never identified. Um, police, people up here can't report them missing. So, someone came to the Globe, a Salvadoran immigrant, and asked us to help find your brother. And so, that's a story we've stuck with for more than a year now. Um, and so, I was worried about losing the opportunity to go back down there. Um, so, as soon as we got back from Europe, we turned around and went back and searched for the human remains with the, the police. So, sort of, um, I was afraid of losing the money for that trip, you know, because I really wanted to follow that up. I know it means a lot to people up here. So, um, so I guess. Uh, so when the globe the globe asked me you know um, are there people working on the Syrian refugee crisis here is there something and I said why can we just can we go and um, and they said you know they, there were some meetings and so we were able to do that so I don't um, so we, so we didn't sit down and discuss kind of like this broad how are we going to do this it was sort of this this is a big issue now can we bring it home to our readers Let, let's go and do that okay. um, but, but you're quite right. I mean, there's like all kinds of issues that we could cover. I mean, Somalia, um, it's just um, there's so many Somalis here. There's so many different things that we could do that we don't get to do anymore.
0: Okay, the floor is open. Uh, David. Uh, what about the national, the U.S. national uh, policy implications of the stories that you've been covering? And has the Globe looked at them? And what about the issue of how many refugees should the United States take from from uh, Syria and and other places, or uh, uh, sh- what should the United States be doing vis-a-vis Syria? Should 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 President Obama be more involved or less involved there? Um, what about those issues and the coverage of those? Did did the Globe do any? And how, what do you think about them? Yes, we uh, did and the coverage of them.
1: Yes, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So you we have re-wrote any views it. on what the U.S. Yeah.
0: should do about these things now that you've looked firsthand at the refugees.
1: Um, no, no, I don't, because then I wouldn't be able to cover it, right? So I, I'd want to make sure that um, my job. I mean, there there are many great opinion writers at the Globe, and so that's sort of their their role. But I um, I I don't. I, I just listen and I write the stories. And it doesn't doesn't mean that journalists don't have opinions, you know. But it's just it's just not my place, and that's that's sort of not my my role in this, but. But it's an interesting question. I, I, you know, Alex Kingsbury, others at The Globe have written about this because you know, the discussion is always, well, we have, you know, we receive more refugees than any other country in the world, but it really is it, is it enough. And, and are they really letting them in? Are they, you know, especially those from uh, Syria and Iraq? Um, yes, there is a tendency on the part of most Americans, I think, to conflate uh, refugees and immigrants. Yeah. And the issues are different and opinions are vastly different. So, in your coverage and reporting, there's a, a need to enlighten as well. And I'm just wondering how you, uh, you cover both, so how, how do you try to bring the stories to the public and make it clear that uh, these are people with very different status and maybe they require different policy solutions? Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, a very good question and a complicated one, you know, because refugees is illegal. Um, another illegal question. So, um, I mean, they're all illegal questions, I suppose. But, um, but you know, it's sort of, it's, it's kind of the same challenge we have on the border with Mexico, right? I mean, who's a refugee and who's not, um, and sometimes that's determined years later, right? So, um, I, I don't, I don't know that I don't really have a good answer to that question. I think you just have to listen to people and tell their stories, you know, as they tell them to you, and you verify them. So, sort of. Um, But it's a good question. I mean, it's something I I think about a lot more, more and more, um, as you see what's going on in El Salvador and and Honduras and places like that, so thank you.
0: Please. Well, yeah, with all the uh, attention paid to the current waves of refugees, have we forgotten about some of the more longstanding refugee problems? Palestinians have been refugees now for 50 years, and many of them are caught up in this next wave of refugees, so they're Mm -hmm. kind of double refugees but they seem to be getting lost, it seems to be coming a a kind of status quo that they're permanent refugees or that they'll never be able to return. so I if you can compare and contrast some of the previous waves of refugees with the current crisis and the way that the attention has been different depending on the politics right
1: yeah <laughs> no, I mean you know these these are important questions you know these are these are questions that are you know fair fair to discuss questions. all the time, yeah. right? yeah.
0: What's the reader response like? I know when I write on these issues, um, the comments, which are censored to take out the most goose-stepping Nazis, <laughs> to start with, and 95% of these terrible people lock them up and don't let them come into our country, and 5% isn't, isn't all for what's happening to them. So you know, it's a self-selecting group of commenters, but how are the comments running your stories?
1: Uh, so I think sometimes we shut them off. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, we had a story Sunday about the deaths and the, the, some of the comments started and, uh, you know, we, we try in sensitive cases to really, really shut them off. Um, and sometimes it's, it's a shame because, you know, you would love if, if people could, you know, they could foster discussion, even if sometimes you attach your, their names to them, it doesn't matter, you know, um, it, it can be um, turned into a screaming match and there, um, so th- I think a lot of times we shut them off. And, and then other times they're moderated by someone. Not me, but someone. And sometimes I jump in. You know, I mean, they encourage us to to participate, and sometimes I do, and and it's kind of surprises people. And you know, so it's kind of uh, that's kind of fun actually for me. So sort of to say no, that's not true. But I try not to get into any kind of fight with anyone. (laughs) So it becomes kind of crazy. But yeah, it's very nice to meet you. I I wonder if you could expand on a point you made earlier about. not having an opinion on the policy side of it. Obviously, you're very well-informed and passionate on the issue. It's one thing to not let your personal opinion influence the story. Another, not to have an opinion altogether. So I just wonder, like, cognitively, like, how do you manage that? Right. Well, you know, uh, it's just, it's uh, it, right, very good question. Um, uh, I'm not sure how I cognitively do uh, so many things um but uh, but uh, the the truth is uh, i I'm very aware and uh, in, in more as I uh, get older um, of the specific role I can play, which is i'm not in anybody's pocket so if you're from um, another country i'm going to listen to you as. As fairly as if um, you know, just because I'm an American doesn't mean I'm not going to hear your your government side of the story. You know, um, we we are covering the conflict um, between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. I try to make that as clear as possible to the different governments involved, all all of our governments. And uh, just to tell you a story. I mean, I've written a lot about um, a very sympathetic group. Um, uh, in the immigration debate, they, the uh, the dreamers, the kids who came here when they and uh, and and you know this is this tough situation for them, and uh, I know they got a lot of sympathy, um, but I had one case where um, a girl told me she had gotten into tufts. Um, and I went to her graduation, I talked to her principal, and it was everybody loved her, she was great. I spent my Sunday, you know, day off uh, at her house, I and mean, I was very committed to trying to do a good story. And I called Tufts, and they were like, no, she's never applied, and she's never gotten in. Okay, so that's my job, is to verify, and to try to tell the truth as best I know it. And I don't want anything to be wrong, uh, because I, my feelings got in the way. And there's still a million other ways to make a mistake, right? But that's one way I can be careful about it. So it's very, it's very it's really important that people... Can, can trust us and come to us. Um, one example is um, Spotlight. If you, I'm, I'm not gonna pitch the movie, but you've gotta see the movie. Um, <laughs> but that that, uh, that that's one great example, but so is the latest Spotlight installment where they were um, writing about um, physicians surgeons doing, uh, leaving the room, you're, while you're having back surgery, they leave the room and go do back surgery on someone else without telling you. Um, and so uh, I guess that's very common in some places I, w- I would like to know ahead of time, I guess. Um, and, uh, and, and I guess there was one point that stood out to me as a reader uh, uh, where, where uh, the guy, the doctor, the kind of the whistleblower, um, was uh, was like, do I go to the FBI or do I go to the Globe? And he went to the Globe. And I think that is, yeah, you know, that's the reason. So, you know, we really have to have our our place. I think it's important. So, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm um, sorry. Opening yeah. about restricting the, uh, or the... Impression of the number of people who are traveling journalistically to these difficult places. I was just thinking about a um, conversation I heard from the advocacy community, specifically Human Rights Watch, was commenting that they often get become a source because they are in the field and very diverse, and and witnessing up front a lot of very difficult issues. Do you have any thoughts about? Do you, would you do you rely on the advocacy community sometimes as a, a first person witness or any any experience with this? Yes, but j- just like that, um, just just like that story I just told about the girl who who had you know that was very much an advocacy thing. Her story's online somewhere, you know, someone did it, one of the um, advocacy media groups, um, and uh, and so, so I think that that's the thing. In fact, when I was in Europe, well, some of the advocacy groups were saying, you know, some some groups think the and ju- justify the means, and they can just tell you. Um, stories and you'll run with them and that, you know, and, and, and it's okay to lie to the media. Um, and so have historically governments, right? So I mean, we have to be careful about everything. Um, so, um, so yes, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, there's groups with very great reputations and, you know, I, I listen to them, but I, as best you can, you have to try to verify things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: For sure. Um, in trying to distinguish fact from opinion, uh, I wanted to recall the helicopter U.S. Uh, gunship that was uh, fired on the mid saint saint mm-hmm. hospital in Afghanistan. Yeah. President Obama announced that there could going to be three separate investigations conducted by three branches of the American government, but the American government would not participate in a neutral or non-American government sponsored investigation of American government behavior. Will the Globe, if some sort of non-American uh, review uh, takes place, cover it with the same care that it would cover the three American reports coming up? I mean, so. That would be a fact question more than an opinion yeah. question, but obviously a lot of opinion built into it.
1: Right. So, I mean, it, 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 I think it will really depend. So we, I mean, we don't. So a few years ago, um, the New York Times, when they owned us, um, and, and they did us a great service again in, in selling us to John Henry. I just want to be really clear. I mean, I, I think we're in a, in a pretty good place. But um, but they got rid of the national desk, and they got rid of the foreign desk, and then they threatened to close down the Boston Globe. So uh, just to get, give a sense of how severe it's been. So we don't have a nat- So that would be like a national story, I think, for us. So it would depend. Um, I've been very interested, and I've been following that a lot, um, and, and uh, you know, so... There may be a way for us to do it, but if the New York Times story or the, the other wire story is, is very good, then we, we might run with that as well. So um, I think, I think we, we do very much have to pick and choose what we do. So. Yes,
0: hi. Yeah. Um, uh, I read a lot in the, in the European press, particularly yeah. the French press and the, the Spanish press, that actually the local volunteers on these places like Lesbos and other areas are the ones who take care of the refugee. Take them out of the water, put the kids upside down because they're half drowned when they arrive. And 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 they complain about the fact that the authorities don't do anything. Is that the sense you got when you were there?
1: I mean I I definitely heard that and I saw almost no authorities helping when we were there. But I mean that's what I saw. I mean, and part of the reason also people were, were the local people were waiting. No, so no, it's not all local. It was definitely international aid groups as well. Um, w- when they were there, sometimes nobody was there, you know, especially at night. Um, but um, there were there were fishermen, you know, hauling in the boats, um, and uh, you know, and a lot of local people. And some of the local people were there to take the engines off the boats so that they could sell them later. So I mean, it was like all mi- a mix of groups. So, but yeah, there was a lot of help from the locals. Yeah. How long is the journey? No, it it, it took. Uh, it, it, it it really depends. You know how where you get hung up. You know, so people it was so unpredictable. You know, if border closed and you could be there for days. Um, uh, it, it was it was days to weeks. You know, if you got You're lucky. Just in the water. Oh, the water crossing. Oh. So it could be, if you had a good engine, it could just be um, maybe, some people were saying like, like um, an hour, depending on where you cross to what point, uh, maybe less than that even. But most people were getting, you know, having these hugely overcrowded boats and these small engines. And, um, and they were like told to get in. And some, some they said at gunpoint. Um, I don't know. But, uh, but that, was, that was really happening. Please. So. And to expand on the reader response question, um, I'm interested in hearing a bit more about how you see your responsibility to Boston Globe readers. Um, considering this issue has so many implications on on people's lives, and it's, it's so important to get uh, the American public to see what's going on, do you feel like that's a one-way street in which you're just telling the stories and hoping that people are listening, or do you get the sense that um, that you know knowledge is expanding, that your stories are affecting? You know, it's, it's always it's so hard to tell you know i don't know um, i i know um i know we got emails from people and they you know that was that was great and twitter is like instant gratification you get all kinds of responses um but it's like anything you know with people's lives it's sort of one another reason that's oh she just gone sorry it's so important to um to follow up these kinds of stories and to keep paying attention to them so um but yeah it's hard to tell especially in this day and age when there's so much there and especially on the internet, you know, where you can, I love reading the news on the internet. It's for a news junkie, it's fantastic. But, um, you know, one minute you're reading the news, then you're checking some human rights report, then you're on the State Department's website, and then you're, like, watching grumpy cat videos. I mean, it's just, like, it's so <laughs> easy to get distracted, you know, in what you've, you know, it's so, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to know. Thanks.
0: So, <clears throat> in the space that you report in, uh, what are the hard stories to convince your editor to let you do. Uh, I mean you must be selling stories regularly, that, and they don't buy all of them. Isn't right? the time almost up? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just curious. It's been but lovely. You know, but it, it, it you know no, which pieces of this story are harder to get the editor interested in, right?
1: You know, I, I think it's. I think honestly, it's a, it's the resources question. I think editors are under a lot of pressure now that that we don't we don't really talk about. You know, I think it's it's sometimes it's a good idea to to talk about it a little bit more because um, because it's it's a it's really tough to make the decisions that they're making right now. I see, um, you can see it. So um, I don't know. I. I've been very lucky, especially the past couple of years. Um, my editors, uh, when I come to, I, I, I come to them with a story that I, that I know will have an angle that has some sort of Boston angle. Like even before I went to Lesbos, I was like, hey, there's a lot of people from Massachusetts from Lesbos. <laughs> so I mean, I did that research, I called people, and I was like, it's really actually true, you know? So if that came up, so. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, you know, the, 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 the trips can be challenging. Like we found a town um, a couple of years ago where it, the majority of the people who live there um, are not US citizens and that wasn't really part of the debate you know the immigration debate but i mean the citizenship is is such a big deal that you know so many people ha- are not citizens that you know that you have american towns that are not in american hands because these folks are not americans yet and so um, so what do you, what, what about that you know do you deport these folks or do you that you make them citizens what what's the next step and so I, you know, I ran these census numbers, and so I had to prevent, you know, persuade my editors to let us go. And fortunately, they did. Mm-hmm. They're great.
0: Mm-hmm. So please. Uh,
1: you talked briefly about how the role of violence in these countries makes it very difficult to report, and then how uh, it makes it very difficult as well for freelance journalists to be there and be safe. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how that changes our perception of these stories uh, here, and anything that you might see as potential? Avenues for changing that in the future to make pathways for reporting to happen. Yeah, I mean, you should ask this gentleman that question afterward. <laughs> I think you would know better than I would. But, um, but, uh, I mean, I, I mean, as a reporter, right? I mean, right, listening to people what they were saying about um, the government and of, of of Syria versus ISIS, right? Um, I think I think those are are such important questions to be able to really hear it from the people themselves. Um, but I don't. You know, I don't know. I mean, these freelancers are so, you know, it's just, it's so dangerous. It's hard to freelance anywhere. Like, it's really, really tough. You don't have health insurance. You don't have protection. You really are out in a limb. Um, so um, to be doing it in a very dangerous country, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's going to be a pathway. I mean, it's, it's really heartbreaking to see what families went through. So it's a great question.
0: So let me ask you a final question then. Uh, I don't see another hand, but oh, please go ahead. You can have it. The German narrative uh, here in Boston regarding this new wave of immigrants is that these were very well educated and to integrate well into the German community and so on. And then you gave the example of a woman who lived quite well and, and so on. So I'm just wondering the first wave of immigrants who went into Jordan and uh, Turkey and Lebanon and so on. Is there a difference between this group of people that these were the better off that they've waited and now is hopeless the situation? And are they really? Is that really true? The German narrative that these are the best and the brightest that taking from Syria. So,
1: so. I, um, I, I wouldn't presume to say completely, but I mean we definitely saw a lot, a lot of people, and I think mm-hmm. that's that's often generally true. <coughs> right? I mean, I mean, from from all the stuff that. People are saying about Mexico. I mean, a lot of the folks coming, you know, are w- way more educated than they have been, in, you know, in, than um, in the past, and um, and they're people <coughs> with means to pay the smugglers' fees. You know, it costs a lot of money to do it. So, no, I think I think you're seeing that, and and you're you're I think you're also seeing folks who are not as well off, but who are you know, who were in this wave, got help somehow, managed to come in. But yeah, we saw a lot of educated people. Question.
0: Maria, thank yeah. you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Shorenstein Center Media and Politics Podcast. Music provided by ExtremeMusic.com.